Welcome to Psychedelic Science for the People. My name is Emily Feda, and I will be your guide as we attempt to better understand psychedelic medicine through conversations with scientists and researchers. If you're a longtime listener of Cannabis Science Today, I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you stick around as the show and our branding continue to evolve. When I started this podcast back in 2019, our goal was to bring scientific research on cannabis to the people who need it most, patients, consumers, and industry professionals. Our goals haven't changed, but as you probably know, we're seeing a global renaissance in psychedelic research, as well as a decriminalization movement in the U.S. So it's never been more important to provide education on medicines like psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD, MDMA, and ketamine. If you're here for the cannabis content, stay tuned. Our obsession with terpenes isn't going anywhere, and we're still going to be talking about cannabis. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this upcoming season, and my goal is that these conversations provide a holistic understanding of psychedelic medicine so we can encourage safe and conscious use. Colleen Higgins is a registered pharmacist and the author of The Cannabis Prescription, How to Use Medical Marijuana to Reduce or Replace Pharmaceutical Medications. Colleen has been helping patients understand how to get the most out of their medications for almost 30 years. She has extensive experience working in various retail pharmacies, and more recently, she has been working as a cannabis pharmacist in the medical marijuana program in Connecticut. In this episode, we talk about effective ways to combine treatment using traditional pharmaceutical medicine and cannabis, as well as how patients can find their perfect dosing of THC, CBD, and CBN. We also talk about patients suffering from chronic pain and inflammatory illnesses like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and how patients can use cannabis to effectively treat these conditions and improve symptoms. Well, Colleen, first of all, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Emily. So happy to join you. And I know that you were trained as a pharmacist and now you are an expert on cannabis and also an author. You wrote the book, The Cannabis Prescription. So could you take us back in time and tell tell us about your training and when did you start become interested start becoming interested in in cannabis as medication? Sure, sure. I love that you use the word training because that's turned into my central focus actually because I did not receive any training. Um so yes, I've been a pharmacist since 1998 and I have worked mainly in retail, uh, like a CVS or a Walgreens type of, you know, operation. I really started in independent pharmacies. There aren't as many of those around. So when cannabis came around, it was really an opportunity to step outside of the pharma world and into this unknown world. I knew that cannabis was very popular. I didn't know. I have been a cannabis user on and off probably since college. Um, I didn't really know how much of the health benefits it had because back in 2013, 2014, when I got started, there wasn't a lot of information. When I started writing my book in 2019, they would spell check sativa. So those words really didn't exist. And even um, in some some of my training programs, I write how the word cannabinoid is still misdefined, even in our literature. So there really wasn't much uh, training for me, but I did try to get a license. Our medical program, I live in Connecticut, started in 2014. We did not win a license. So I went to work for some of the dispensaries. I really wanted to learn what it was all about which is unusual for a pharmacist. Pharmacists tend to be a little bit more conservative and jumping into an unknown situation like this where you actually put your license at risk 
the reason that doctors feel they can't recommend the products to people is because there was a law. It actually has been debunked, but there was a law saying that back in the Clinton era, that if doctors talk to patients about cannabis, they were they may be penalized. They may have their license taken away, which would uh, enable them not to be able to control uh, to prescribe controlled medications, which would be a big deal for a doctor. So there was confusion. I'm going to get in trouble. I have a I have a license as well, but I decided to take a dive into it anyways. And I started working in the dispensaries here. There wasn't much product to sell initially. It was flour. We didn't have the vapes yet. We didn't have the sublingual products, but I realized I really knew nothing. I knew nothing about what the dosage should be for someone. So I made the mistake if somebody took a, a pre-roll or a joint home, then I didn't tell them to take just one or two puffs. And I learned the hard way that if you have an ex-smoker, they're going to go home and take the whole thing. <laughs> so my training was on the job 100%, sitting down with patients who wanted to understand it. So I'm somebody that dives deep into studying. I look into studies. I also, it's a, it's a very safe drug. So that gave me a lot of comfort. You know, if somebody did take a little bit too much, then they weren't going to die. Unlike the drugs that I give out in pharma. So it, it was a really on the job getting feedback from, from patients. And they were so excited to be there. My first patient was a glaucoma patient who was going blind and this was the only thing that was helping him keep his sight in his one good eye. So I was just there to kind of learn with the patients, help them start the medications, help them learn about the different delivery systems and how to time it out so they don't end up taking too much, how to blend the cannabinoids together, um, understanding what an edible is all about and how that's going to work maybe better for pain than an inhaled product. So it was the training portion, Emily, was on the job. And luckily, patients are so happy that you're there to help them. And I understood the drugs that they were currently on. And over time, I was able to say, hey, by the way, you'll be able to come off X, Y, and Z if we can really get you really up and running on the cannabis. So all completely on the job, but I'm I'm very excited to help patients and learn new things. I've always been really excited about learning new things. So it was a great opportunity. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for pharmacists to apply their skills to patients who really, really need it. Wow. I think that's so, that's such an interesting, that's such an interesting way to just jump right into yeah. working with patients. And yeah. I do, I do wonder that was, um, the segues nicely into my next question. What, what are your thoughts on effective ways to combine traditional pharmaceutical medicine with cannabis? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you guide patients through that process? What do you sure. recommend? Well, we know all the drugs, right? So if you have somebody that goes to a cardiologist, somebody that goes to has diabetes, somebody that has lung issues, somebody that has pain issues, the pharmacist is your, is your hub. The pharmacist understands all those drugs together. So if I am helping somebody with pain, I know what drugs they're taking for pain. They show me their list of drugs. I know what, if they're taking pregabalin, I know what that's for. I know what baclofen is. You know, I know they're for muscle relaxers. If somebody comes in with MS, as the pharmacist, we understand every single one of those drugs. So when we really understand cannabis and how it works for pain and how CBD works for inflammation, and over time, you start to see how these cannabinoids work together with the entourage effect to affect different areas in the body. We can also talk about Parkinson's, right? Parkinson's, there are studies out there and you can immediately, immediately see the effect on somebody with either the shaking or maybe what they call a stone face. They're not really able to show emotions and their gait is very tough to walk. 
if they use an inhaled product, you can immediately see it working. It's fascinating. So over time, you can really take all that information, tie it together, and then apply it to which medications people are on and say, hey, by the way, I know you don't want to be on that high dose of opioids, or I've had patients where they have something happen to them. And the doctor says, hey, why don't you try cannabis first? Because once you start on an opioid, your only path to go is up. You have to keep taking more and more in order to get the same pain relief. And that's standard operating procedure for these type of pain medications. So if we can introduce cannabis as an alternative, doesn't mean we have to completely take away these other meds, but we can reduce them or we can just use them as an accent drug that will help to kind of affect the way that cannabis works, but reducing the side effects from those, those heavy duty drugs, the patient's going to feel better overall. They're going to feel more clear headed. They're going to be more productive in life. They're going to feel happier. And with cannabis, as we know, you feel more in control because you can take as much or as little as you want. If you're having a bad day, you can take more with pain medications. You cannot. So it can be used with these pharma drugs. It can be used to reduce drugs that aren't working effectively enough. It can be used for other patients where Parkinson's say there aren't a lot of drugs to choose from. So this is an option for neurologists to go to when they've run out of other options for pharma. There just aren't a lot. So I think it absolutely, when we can <clears throat> really integrate it, into the whole healthcare and drug system, and we can have our medical professionals understand it. They're still a little bit weary. That's very standard in 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 uh, healthcare. We want to make sure that we don't harm people. Then I think it's going to be just something we're going to integrate, just like we do Advil, Tylenol. It's just something that's going to be in there and can absolutely be used along with the pharma drugs or in replace of the pharma drugs. Yeah, I think that that's such an important and interesting perspective because I think the way that cannabis has been legalized, where it's, uh, you know, it's still well, it's still federally yeah. illegal, uh, or or has not been legalized, I guess, yeah. more accurate. Um, that it, it's almost it's like this uh, still kind of this underground thing, or, or it's mm -hmm. still something that's completely disconnected or separate from from traditional medicine in it. So I'm um, seeing more neurologists. I have to say, neurologists oh, don't have a lot of meds to choose from, especially in later stages of disease. So I am seeing more neurologists that are open to it. So it, if there's a need for it, right, the doctors are going to start looking for it. We need to get it to a, a, a legalized federal schedule. So it's a schedule run right now. It's been um, legalized on the state level, but not on the federal level. So we just need to to fix that problem is the way I look at it. <laughs> you know, just fix that problem. So then doctors will not have to worry about any repercussions and we won't have this whole little game of who's going to get in trouble anymore. You guys are getting billions of dollars in tax dollars. Enough. Let's let people use this. Ideally, if insurance would cover it, then we can really integrate it. It's been studied all over the world. There are tons of studies. We have GW Pharmaceuticals with the Epidolex, which is a CBD uh, plant-based pharmaceutical that shows a lot of drug interaction. We're learning more every day, just like a regular drug. They're making it into something that it, it's not an alien landing on the planet, right? It's just another drug that we look at the same way we look at with our pharma drugs. But you know, pharma is very dominant in this country and there's always pushback when money is involved. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's a great point. So in your book, I know, and you've also mentioned neurologists are seeking this out more, and I know you talk about how cannabis slows the progression of inflammatory illnesses like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So when you were working with patients with, with these kinds of conditions, what, what was your recommendation and, and what kind of compounds, do you know if there is literature out there that suggests what kind of compounds in cannabis can be most helpful and effective for people with these conditions? Sure. There's tons of studies. If, if um, people wanted to take a look at my book, I do have it available on my website. You can go to dispensary teams or over on Amazon. If you look at the, cam- the cannabis prescription and you look up my name, Colleen Higgins, it gives specific dosing. There's actually 15 disease states that I bring in and give um, not only dosing, but studies. For instance, Parkinson's, they actually have a study where CBD, with Parkinson's, even 10 years before the diagnosis, you can get kind of this thrashing at bedtime. It's it's called an REM sleep disorder. And you know their, the, their sleep partners can really get hurt physically if somebody's thrashing or hitting them or singing or whatever. When these patients were given CBD, uh, one patient was given 75 milligrams and three others. So it's a very small study. We're given 300 milligrams of CBD during the day uh, leading up to bedtime. 100% of the symptoms went away. When the drug was taken away, 100% of the symptoms came back. We know that THC works well for muscle relaxation. That's pretty much understood at this point. It relaxes the muscle, especially when you bring in the nice terpenes of for the indica, the mercy and the humulene. That's going to relax those muscles really, really nicely. So when you have somebody with Parkinson's, their muscles can get stiff. So the combination of CBD and THC, you can help to, uh, remember when we have that entourage effect and we take C- we have a lot of CBD and less THC, you have less of the strong psychoactive feeling. So we can use that CBD to help with the REM sleep disorder, to help with the inflammation in the brain. And that can be used to damper out the strong psychoactive feeling of the THC. And that can help with the shakes, that can help with the muscle stiffness. So if we really think about what the molecules do and apply them to the disease state, it's it's one plus one equals two. But we have to have that laid out for our healthcare professionals. We have a certain way of doing language. We're very, very busy. So if somebody says for Parkinson's, what would you give? My answer really is, what. well, how does the patient want to take it? So with my training courses, I don't train either the the bud tenders or the medical professionals to require a patient to take something. I teach them to deliver the information regarding cannabis to them so it doesn't overwhelm them. And by the way, that took me two years to figure out. (laughs) It took me two years of sitting down with patients to realize how to deliver the information to somebody who's never used cannabis, how to get started and not overwhelm them. So we do that. We talk about the delivery systems. And and a lot of people come in and say, oh, I want an edible. I want a cookie. I want a gummy. And you'll say, okay, no problem. That takes an hour to start working. So if you're having some stiffness, if you're having, you know, you're not able to move or your shakes come on, it's going to take an hour for that to start working. Where if you took something inhaled or even sublingual, that will work very quickly. And they, they start to think, well, maybe... Maybe I'll try both and see what I like, which is ideally what I like people to do anyways, is to try several delivery systems. So my job and the the bud tender or the, the dispensary professional is to deliver the information of cannabis. Our, our cannabinoids, our delivery systems and our doses, basically don't overwhelm them. Just kind of get that, you know, brewing in them and then say, okay, 
what would you like to try first? And if they say, all right, I'll try a vape now. You know, a lot of people don't want to smoke in a medical facility, but they'll say, oh, all right, I'll try to inhale because I understand that works fast now. And then we'll give them the dosing. Then we actually are leading the patient down the path that's going to educate them, make them feel more comfortable and, and have them use products that are effective, right? We want it to be effective so they don't take too much and they feel, oh, this is not for me. Or they take too little and they think, oh, this is not for me. So it's all about deciding what they want, informing them and leading them down that path so that they can find the products that are going to work best for them. That makes sense. And I imagine that that is how patients have the best outcome when they're educated and they're making these. Exactly. The goal is to not have them ask me every single question. The goal is to have them educated, maybe circle back and say, hey, by the way, this new this new spray over here, this new sublingual spray, or these, these sublingual slips, I don't really understand them. Can you point them out? But the goal is to have them know their dose, know their delivery system, and be able to buy products without me holding their hand. I absolutely will. And our, our dispensary professionals are there to inform and guide them. But the goal is to have them feel confident enough that they'll be able to go to any dispensary anywhere they are and confidently buy products that they know will do well for them. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned um, 300 milligrams is, you know, perhaps a prescription or a recommendation as a dose for someone with, with Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. is that 300 milligrams of like active CBD and THC combined or that study was just CBD and they dosed it out in about a hundred milligrams taken three times a day. So they didn't take all 300 milligrams right at bedtime Mm -hmm. because high, high doses of CBD can, they're okay. They're actually, if you, if you look at the literature under the pharmaceutical GW pharmaceutical, which is a CBD product, they have doses up to a thousand milligrams. So 300 milligrams is a, a perfectly safe dose to take, but the higher the dose, the more side effects. So at 300 milligrams, you're more likely to get a headache or you might be more likely to get a little stomach upset. So you can actually break that down throughout the day, maybe 100 milligrams three times a day, maybe 75 milligrams, you know, three or four times a day. And and like I said, the other person was 75 milligrams. So they were still having a wonderful effect overnight as well. So always, as we know with cannabis, the logo is go, go low and go slow. So I would start with, say, 50 milligrams at bedtime, or if I was having pain, maybe dose it out throughout the day and then kind of just check out how it works throughout the night and go up on the dose until you always find that effective dose. Mm -hmm. And do you think that, I mean, you also mentioned how THC can really be this great muscle relaxant. Mm -hmm. Do you think CBD for people who maybe are living in states where uh, THC is not legalized yet, do you think CBD on its own um, can be an, an effective treatment? Yeah. I think CBD is, a, is an absolutely amazing, fantastic anti-inflammatory. When I talk to people about or train people on CBD, there's so many things you could remember and that becomes confusing. So if I give one word, it's CBD is a potent anti-inflammatory. That's in your, your hands and your knees and your joints. If you have osteoarthritis or different kinds of arthritis, that's in your brain because this systemic inflammation is is really what they've they've kind of led us to is causing so many of these diseases in our body. So CBD can absolutely help with that inflammation. It can absolutely, I've seen people come off of tramadol and low dose Vicodin. What's low dose Vicodin? So Vicodin comes in several different strengths. The lowest has five milligrams of hydrocodone in it. It's like a regular strength Vicodin. 
I've seen people come off both tramadol and Vicodin with CBD alone, probably about 50 to 75 milligrams taken two or three times throughout the day. It brings the inflammation down significantly and they don't need their pain meds. Maybe on those really rough days, they need their pain meds. I had another patient who had arthritis. She took 10 milligrams, all her rings fell off because her inflammation went down so much. So as a potent anti-inflammatory, there's a tremendous amount of benefit CBD can offer on its own. For more severe patients, I do find that some amount of THC in whatever their product is that they choose tends to offer a great benefit. And when you have a lot of CBD and less THC, they don't have that strong high feeling, which a lot of people don't want during the day if they're looking to be more productive, right? If you're having chronic pain or you're dealing with Parkinson's, you don't necessarily want to be, you know, blazing high all day. That's just not reality. So this is a way of using these meds and ta- and and making it personalized for them so they can get what they want out of it. But CBD, I think almost everybody, <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of anybody who doesn't benefit from taking some CBD. It's just absolutely fantastic. Right. And I definitely want to talk about pain management and, and opiates, but, but before we go there, while we're on the topic of CBD, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this um, kind of influx of Delta, Delta eight. Oh, Delta eight products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a whole episode actually just about some of the, some of the issues with the industry and right. the testing and the regulation. So I definitely yeah. recommend, I definitely recommend listeners listen to that to really know what they're getting into, but I'm wondering if you have, yeah, if you have any thoughts, um, on Delta eight products, you know, as a, I will, As a pharmacist, right, everything is done chemically. (laughs) So all of these drugs are made through through chemical designs. You know, they'll they'll have an old drug, uh, let me think, like omeprazole, which is Prilosec for stomach. Millions of people have taken it. And they just kind of change the chemistry slightly. And then boom, now we have a new drug. It's called Nexium. So do I think it's bad when we take molecules and we play around with them and we attach things and we do everything? Not necessarily. Not, that's what science is. That's what drug science does. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. If you have a product where there are diluents or solvents that are left in it and maybe dangerous to the person, then yeah, that's that's a production issue. And I think that could be you know harmful to the patient and we always want to do no harm. I've seen patients use Delta 8 for mild pain, mild anxiety, I think it's a nice option to have. These were made by a really fantastic drug company that we have here called Connecticut Pharmaceuticals. They are on a medical level and they have had Delta 8 available in the dispensaries here for years. So I think that's a great product and I think it's very, very well made. So Delta 8 by itself, I know there's a lot of discussion with the industry, how it's synthetic and this and that. That doesn't completely turn me off. It's if it's produced and manufactured in a poor manner, then that could be an issue for me. But the molecule itself, I think it has health benefits and, and I don't really think there's anything wrong with it from my perspective. Good to know. I think it's important to offer both perspectives. So of course, there's a lot of issues with kind of the regulations, but that doesn't necessarily mean- oh, that, There's that, issues about regulations for everything in this industry. I know, I know. And, and that was something I was thinking too, as you were talking about patients turning to vape pens, um, yes. patients with neurological conditions, because- yes. You know, as I'm, I'm sure you know a lot, like there's more and more research coming out of like the chemicals found in vape pens or so. Actually, it wasn't a vape pen. It was vape flour. We taught really? them how to how to vaporize the flour Amazing. because the flour that we were selling was um, was ground up. So it was already ground, pre-ground. So he could either roll it or whatever. And he, he was an older gentleman. He didn't really have any 
interest in smoking. And we didn't have vapes at that time. So we actually gave him a Pax vaporizer and he would just walk around with his vaporizer and just take puffs as he got really stiff and couldn't move. And it was fantastic for him. So the flower, I think the flower vaporization, which people kind of move, right? We don't talk about that a lot. It's fantastic. You can lower the temperature, which is going to save the throat and the mouth. If you can keep that temperature down and keep it cool, which a lot of the new vaporizers even use water technology as well. And you're getting the medicine that you want to get and you're not destroying it at a super high temperature. So flower vaporization is great. You're right with the, with the vape cartridges, boy, do I wish they were, they were better, but there is a question of that vaporization of those chemicals, even if they're food grade, whether it's safe to use it as a vaporizer. And I know a lot of people will get a throat irritation or cough and who really wants that, right? We want to feel good and we want it to be safe. And we want to know that we're not doing harm to ourselves. Right, exactly. And I'm happy to hear that recommendation, actually, because on our very first episode back in 2019, um, we had a scientist who worked at a laboratory at the time, and she gave the exact same recommendation based mm-hmm. on kind of all the, the testing information. So yeah, it seems like that's still such a great, a great recommendation for patients who are using this for medicine. Yes. Yeah. It's it, it because it's quick. You can control your dose. When we are inhaling something, it is tightly controlled. You take a small one to two second, maybe three second puff. That's it, right? The people, most of the time when people are just starting out with cannabis, they make that grave mistake of just sucking in a big dose or puff, 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 like they do in the movies. And you're like, no, that's not going to work. That's really going to be uncomfortable. It should be one, two to three second puff, put it down, give it 10 to 15 minutes, evaluate. If you need to go up to two puffs, do so. I really like to deal with the people that are new, right? That don't understand cannabis because our regulars, they, they know how to, they had how to handle themselves, but the newbies, the people that have very little experience, they need help with something as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Two to three seconds. It's interesting. I've heard four seconds. I've had people do that and they overshot. (laughs) So (laughs) I am a big proponent of like this. Okay. Good. We're making (laughs) progress. I think I've heard that from just like the internet. Friends. Yeah, people go home and they, they're like, I just, and I go, just show me how you did it. And they, they would do, it. I go, yeah, too much. She goes, yeah, I just yes, went too okay. much, you know, because they're new. They're, they're all, they're learning it. And, and THC, especially the products that we have here, are 25 to 35% THC, no CBD going on in there. So they're strong. So you want to keep that dose nice and low. Okay. Great, great. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust you going forward. <laughs> and I think it's so I, I just want to say I just want to reiterate how, how interesting your approach is, because, yeah, originally people who, you know, someone with Parkinson's are like, OK, maybe maybe cannabis will work for me. But they have to ask their like, you know, their their teenage kids yeah. how to smoke or something. Yeah. How cool that you're providing that, that, you know, they literally, I've heard a lot of people say that my daughter told me to come in here. My grandson told me to come in here. So they literally are being pushed in by the younger generation saying, listen, it's not what you think anymore. It's not the propaganda. Just try it. So we want them to try it the right way. And we don't want them to to get over inebriated and then be like, no, I don't like this at all. Exactly. Because if you have one bad experience early on where you lose control or you face you know, extreme that's it or something. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to totally throw this out as an option. So I think yep. it really is important. They literally do. They say, Nope, it's not for me. And you're like, well, it's just the dose. Nope. I don't want to feel like that ever again, <laughs> which is totally fair, which is totally yes. fair. But yeah, I think it's so important that we have, you know, we have this training and, and resources early when, when people first start trying it. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So let's talk about pain management 
Because this is, I mean, this is probably the number one reason why people turn to cannabis, especially after um, being prescribed opiates and so many people. I mean, obviously we know now that opiates are extremely addictive mm-hmm. and can't really be taken over long periods of time right. without yeah. developing a dependency. So mm-hmm. how, what is kind of your, your transition plan for, for people who are suffering from chronic pain or, or let's even dive in. What if they have and they come to you with like an opiate addiction? Oh, sure. Well, if they have been on opiates for years, they are physically addicted. And there's a difference here, right? So addiction is when you are consuming something that will give a behavior change and a withdrawal response. So if I take it away, then you are you feel the physical effects and you are like, I need that. And I am willing to do whatever I need in order to get that. And that goes all the way from cigarettes to opioids to caffeine to cannabis. Cannabis does have a withdrawal lower than nicotine. So it is. it does have a withdrawal, just not as much. So if somebody comes in and they've been on medication and opioids, they are physically addicted, but oftentimes they're looking to come off. So it make, I think of two people right now. The first was a woman who came in with her husband. She has uh, breast cancer that had become very, very painful. Her husband was extremely smart. He was an international business consultant and the guy was wicked smart. And he did not, and they were very concerned that her pain needs were up and up and up. So she, at this point was on Oxycontin 60 milligrams, which is just one down from the top dose. She was also on Oxycontin for breakthrough pain, plus, 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 plus a few other meds as well. And he said, listen, this is getting out of control and it's not handling her pain needs. I want your recommendation for one product. I don't want to hear about five products. I want one product that you think is going to help her with her pain needs. So I recommended a two to one, so two CBDs to every one THC tincture, oral tincture. I find that the oral products work best for the real severe pain. They can smoke as much as they want. It just doesn't seem to have the same type of effect in my experience, but they're more than welcome to try the inhaled version first. Within three weeks, she so I wrote her a chart of how much to use. Within three weeks, she came back. She was down to Oxycontin, 10 milligrams with no breakthrough pain, a medication needed. So she had really dropped her dose rapidly. And that's what I find works when people are finding the pain relief because they're taking it because they have something wrong. So if you take it away, you're gonna have the withdrawal response and then you're gonna have the increase in pain. I had another gentleman who was on Oxycontin 80 milligrams. He was a guy that used to cut down trees. So he his body had seen some damage and he was also taking breakthrough as well. He preferred to inhale. So he did a lot of um, smoking through a water pipe, uh, but eventually he was able to pretty much come off all of it. He just got down to a small amount of like Oxycontin, five or 10 milligrams for breakthrough pain, a minimal fraction of what he was on because he didn't want to be anymore. I had another patient who unfortunately had been given an extreme amount of Xanax and she was now in a panic state because Xanax is a nasty little drug where you're you're dealing with anxiety, you take one, it brings your anxiety down. You're like, this is amazing. And then after it wears off, your anxiety is even higher than it was before. So she was, she had had to drop out of uh, college. She was really basically not functioning. So At first, she was using a lot. And actually, funny enough, I recommended the same product for her, a two-to-one CBD to THC. For her, it was a flower. And her mom had actually at one point said, you know, she's using a lot. I'm a little bit concerned. And I said, you know, just see how it goes over the next few weeks. Well, over the next few months, she was using a lot initially as she was coming off of the Xanax. Same thing happens with the opioids. She didn't need it as much. 
and her use went down. So once they get through that part where they're coming off the med and it's replacing and they're finding some sort of balance to where they they have the pain control and they're switching off the other meds because that's going to be a transition and it's it's going to take a little bit of time. She eventually got down to where she used it a few times throughout the day. She got back into college and she was completely off of the Xanax. So there's that transition time and people should be pretty kind to themselves to take time to, um, I always tell people that are new to cannabis because they'll say immediately, I want to get off these opioids. And I'll say, listen, step one is learning how to use the products, right? It's all about what's going to make me feel good. What's not going to be too strong. What's not going to be too weak. How does an edible work? How long does it take to kick in? How long does it take last in my body? Once you have all that down, then you can start to pull away those meds or reduce them slowly over time, hopefully in cooper- in cooperation with your uh, provider so they can help you with that, then um, it's, it's just that transition time of coming off of one med, going on to another. Usually the dose is going to be high initially, but over time it, I, it does come down. It does come down unless they want to lean on it for, you know, other reasons. But if they're looking to really come off the meds and find, find re, re, um, relief is the word I'm looking for, relief from cannabis like they do from opioids, then they initially just kind of find that that equal value and then they bring the opioid down, bring the cannabis up, and eventually the cannabis does come back down over time. Mm, I think that's that's such good that's such good advice because it can be quite dangerous if you mm-hmm. are using painkillers or opioids for a long period of time. It can be quite dangerous to just quit cold turkey. Oh, is that correct? Oh well, opioids for sure. Benzodiazepines are even worse. Benzodiazepines, you can have a seizure and die. Okay. So they're nasty. You know, if you're up at eight milligrams of Xanax a day and you just stop cold turkey, you could absolutely have a seizure. So um, especially if it's mixed with other things, it could be. And it will be extremely, extremely uncomfortable. So the way to do it is to always take your time. I also always recommend don't do it during the holidays <laughs> when you're most <laughs> stressed out. Try to find that time when you have a little bit of peace, maybe February, March, or even the summer when it's a little bit better weather. You know, set yourself up for success and learn how to use cannabis first. But it is absolutely doable to reduce the amount of pharma drugs with the use of cannabis for, for many conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's so important to put that out there. So- Absolutely, because people, you know, they they go to their doctor, they're looking for help, they try drug after drug after drug after drug after drug after drug, and they're like, "Geez, is this this how it goes? That's all I got." <laughs> you know, and yeah. so eventually, a lot of the the doctors that are opening up to cannabis will say, "You know, listen, we've tried everything. Let's let's try this over here as another option." And we're seeing in Connecticut. There were a very limited number of doctors who were willing to participate, but you quickly saw doctors adding on and being willing to prescribe because it was safer. It wasn't this big disaster people thought it would be, and it was extremely, extremely effective. So they want their patients to do well. And when you run out of options, this is a great other option. I think it should be in the toolbox and it should be an option for every patient out there. Mm -hmm. I think there's also such a need for... Um, yeah, yeah, for guides, maybe beyond traditional physicians as well, because I think there can be a lot of shame in mm-hmm. opiate addiction or in addiction in general. And people, yeah, I think, so, you know, just create creating um, creating resources and creating environments where people feel like they can have supportive guidance and 
you know, transitioning yes. out of this. I've seen medical dispensaries. I've worked in several medical dispensaries and I know the people there are really there to help you understand how to utilize this ma- this medication, meaning cannabis, to the maximum effect you can get out of it. So not just playing around, taking a dose here and there, but scheduling it so you can use it around the clock and reduce your dependence on opioids or other medications. And then if you're having a bad day, right, let's say you tweak it wrong and your back hurts extra, you can take a little bit more while it's healing. And it's really just a fantastic option, but you're right that there is a lot of shame in the addiction. It was really bad. I was in pharmacies in 2008, 9, 10, 11. It was just so disturbing. And I would say to people sometimes, you know, you, you want to be careful with this. This is a slippery slope. And the lack of conversation around it was just incredible because the doctor didn't want to say anything and the patient felt shame. And it, I think the lack of conversation was was what kind of led us to this massive uh, opioid problem that we are still still dealing with. But cannabis is a great option. I think in the medical dispensaries, if you can get in there and talk to those professionals, it, there's there's only understanding and people really want to help these patients understand it and help them live better lives. Mm -hmm. While we're on this topic of addiction, have you worked with patients suffering from alcoholism or Mm -hmm. other forms of addiction? And and have you seen cannabis uh, be used as a successful medication? Yeah, great question. Great question. So alcohol is a little tricky. I have seen several um, people with alcohol issues come into the dispensary and it depends. Alcohol, kind of like nicotine, is a very tough, tough addiction to overcome. And I know it requires a lot of support. Can cannabis help? I have seen some people who have reduced their use of alcohol over time and they they didn't completely drop it, um, but they were able to significantly, significantly reduce it. And then I've seen a couple of other patients where it didn't help them at all. Alcohol was their drug. Alcohol was what gave them what they needed to get through the day and cannabis, they thought it might help, but it ended up not working. So, you know, these are powerful addictions, <laughs> very powerful addictions. And Cannabis has its benefits, but it's it's not going to, I think it was more beneficial for pain and opioid addiction and benzo di- uh, addiction than I would say for, um, for alcohol. Alcohol was, I didn't see every patient who'd be like, yes, this is great. I'll use this as my alternative. It was, sometimes they just stuck with the alcohol. Good, good to know. Yeah. I, I've heard mixed, I've heard mixed reports on that. So it's, yeah. it's interesting to hear your perspective. Alcohol is a tough addiction. It's a tough mm-hmm. addiction. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so we've talked a lot about THC and CBD, but I'm wondering what other kind of uh, compounds in cannabis, what kinds of terpenes or whether CBN or CBG, what other compounds um, are you excited about in terms of their potential to treat and to, to help with some of these um, conditions that we've talked about, whether chronic pain or Parkinson's or neurological conditions? Sure, sure. I love them all. <laughs> I love them all. Choose your favorite um, child. I know. Yeah, it's like you pick your favorite child. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. But I would say, I actually recently, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was dealing with an extreme amount of anxiety. I have a teenager, so enough said on that. And, um, you know, I was at work, so I can't take THC. I, I like to be very sharp when I'm at work. So I took a bunch of CBN. I, t- I ended up taking 25 milligrams total, kind of by accident, because I, I thought I, I needed to have two of these over-the-counter gummies and I really only needed one. 
bottom line is it worked great for my anxiety. I was so like, I could almost taste my anxiety because I'm dealing with this child and I was fine. I wasn't drowsy. I was a little bit drowsy. I'd probably say it was a little bit much, but uh, it really helped me feel more relaxed, more centered, more calm. So I love CBN as an anti-anxiety medication and mixed with CBD, I think it's fantastic. I would say CBG is also super exciting, right? Maybe THCV for appetite suppression. I know they've looked at it before and I think there's a, a sublingual slip out in Colorado that I would love to get my hands on at some point and try the THCV, but CBG with its brain anti-inflammatory potential I love it because we need that. We need drugs to help with dementia progression. My father is dealing with some dementia. We need drugs to deal with the Parkinson's inflammation. You know, we have so many issues. I mean, even MS, you have inflammation, which leads to degradation of the myelin and the nerves don't transmit as, as well. So we have such constant inflammation going on in our body. And if we can find different molecules that can really penetrate and do well with that, I find it super exciting. So I love a CBG. I wish we had a more specific dose on that. That seems to be a little bit more of a gray area. And I love a CBN. I'd say THCV is also pretty fantastic as well. So those, I, I put those as my top three. <laughs> Okay. So with CBG in terms of actually, would you feel comfortable sharing when you took the two gummies? What was the the dosing on that? So the dosing on, I actually had some tablets from the dispensary that had 10 milligrams each. And the, I, I, I think I ended up taking a half of that. So that was five milligrams. And then the gummies had 25 milligrams of CBD and 10 milligrams of CBN. And I ended up taking both of them. I was having some pain in my shoulder. And then I realized, ooh, I might've taken a little bit too much CBN there. So I just- That was 50 50 milligrams of CBN. 50 milligrams of CBD, 25 milligrams of CBN combo. Oh, God. And I thought it was great. I I really, I noticed, I always say, take something and evaluate two hours later. And in the two hours later, I thought, you know what? I don't feel anxious anymore. I don't feel like I, you know, I'm all upset anymore. I feel nice and calm. I don't really feel drowsy. Now, another friend of mine who's a pharmacist and who does not consume cannabis regularly, he took one of those CBN gummies, the CBD CBN gummies that has 10 milligrams of CBN. And he said he, he was drowsy the whole next day. So he, there's, there's the difference, right? There's the rub and you want to find a dose that's good for you and make sure that it's, you want to start low on the dosing. So I would start at five or 10 milligrams of CBN and then slowly bring it up. But if if you deal with anxiety, I think it's a great molecule that's over the counter and available right now, and it's not going to make you high. So you can take it during the day. You know, it's 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 a great option out there. I don't think a lot of people are aware of it just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point about your your friend colleague as well, because everyone's body chemistry is so different. Yes. So I think we we think like, okay, you can take this amount is safe for. And sure, I think the good thing with cannabis is that you probably will not have um, extreme and like medical side effects from yeah. taking too much. So that's what makes it so safe. But at the same time, something personally I've been struggling with with CBD is if I take like a higher dose, which mm-hmm. sometimes I really need with anxiety or to sleep, mm-hmm. um, I just have such such an extreme dry mouth. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you and think then that I- could be from the terpenes. 
I don't know, to be honest. I think that's possible. I mean, I've heard it's a common side effect. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a definitely always been a side effect with with smoking for me, but oh sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But with the with the tincture too, I'm I'm just frustrated because I can't find I can't <laughs> like I, I I need a higher dose in order for it to be effective, but then my mouth is so dry and it's like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be a problem. I'm just actually pulling up. I, I always have my little um my little app. It's called um Hippocrates, there's an Hippocrates drug app. If you put it on your phone, you can actually type in the the CBD um, drug and you can look up the side effects. So I'm pulling it up to see if they have dry mouth listed. Because remember, these are doses of like a thousand milligrams. This is used for really rare seizure disorders in kids. And I'm not seeing any of the dry mouth. So I think it might be due to the terpenes that you have in your product. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Just, just to put that okay. out there because it's not listed at all. Weight loss, nausea, gastroenteritis, irritability, infection, insomnia, fatigue, rash, vomiting, no dry mouth at all. Um, upset stomach um, and headache are the, are kind of the big ones. But a lot of times it's those humulene, right? That cause, that'll knock you out and the myrcene that'll knock you out. That, that a lot of times is where the dry mouth comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. I'll have to check it and see. What yeah. So your product things are in it. Um, Okay, so so while we're while we're on this subject, I just given that the way that cannabis is is sold and distributed in the U.S., what recommendations? And also, I mean, how amazing that you were a pharmacist working in a, a medical dispensary. But that's often not the case. A lot of yeah. times, when people go into the dispensary, they're talking to a bud tender who doesn't necessarily yep. have a lot of training or, or education on this. So, what are some recommendations that you give, could give to a patient who is trying to find their their perfect? cannabis medication in, you know, in a dispensary? Yes. Good question. Because the last dispensary that I went to in Vegas, um, that was outside of my state, they immediately offered me a hundred milligram capsule. And I was just so disappointed because I would never take a hundred milligram capsule, nor would I ever recommend a hundred milligram capsule to someone without asking what's your tolerance, what's your experience, you know? Um, so I would say do a little bit of research first and um, look what you're, if I had to pick one thing that's good for most everything except nausea for people that are just walking in, I would say get something that has a little bit of CBD in it, right? Because it mellows out the THC. It doesn't mean you don't feel the THC completely, but when you're first starting out, if you get something that's like a two to one or a three to one CBD to THC, it's such a nice entry point into cannabis. I recommend a five milligram oral dose. I've had other people recommend 10 milligrams to me. And without ever asking my experience level, I don't recommend 10 milligrams unless you're a regular cannabis user. So a five milligram starting dose, something blended with a little bit of CBD, typically more on the relaxing side, right? Even if you get a hybrid, more on the relaxing side, it's always a good place to start because who doesn't want to relax in life at some point? Um, these, this is like a good little starting point, but the other thing I would recommend if you're just starting out is don't buy a lot of anything, buy a lot, a little bit of a, like a sampler pack. So if you wanted to try a sativa, I'd get like the smallest vape or a small little bit of flower. And I would, I would try that, right? Whenever we start inhaling, it's one puff, two to three seconds long. 
put it down, pick it up in 10 to 15 minutes if you need to, but get a feeling, write stuff. And we always forget, right? THC makes you forget the short-term memory. Write stuff down on what you prefer, maybe what you don't like. Try an edible. It's great to try an edible, but edibles do feel differently than inhaled products. So you want to make sure that you try an edible and, and you like the fact that it feels heavier and more psychoactive than a an inhaled product. But my recommendation is always to start low, Start with a five milligram edible dose. If you can blend that with a little CBD, even better, or start with one puff of an inhaled product and keep the dose low at first, you know, keep it nice and, and gradual. And if you need more over time, absolutely. If you do happen to consume just a scotch too much, then wait it out. You're not, it's not like you're going to take, I hear these people that take a thousand milligram bar home and eat half or a whole. And I'm just thinking, why did nobody tell them not to do that? It's you want to just dip your toe in and test out a few different things, maybe a nice little hybrid, maybe a nice little sativa. If you have the sativa and it gives you anxiety immediately, stay away from sativas. You know, so so it's just a matter of try things, keep the dose nice and low and go slow. And, um, you know, talk to if you can find somebody at the dispensary who's knowledgeable, it, they're worth their weight in gold. This is why I developed my training programs, because unfortunately, the good people tend to leave and your, your bud tender that you like is gone. And they, they were the one that you wanted to go to. So if we can train every bud tender to answer these questions, then we're really on to something and we can really elevate this industry into what it should be. I think that's a great point, especially I, I think the turnover for bud tenders is insane. It's sad. Um, yeah. It's, so sad. Good, you know. it's painful. Um, yes. So you posted a story on LinkedIn about choosing a products for choosing a, a cannabis product for someone's mother who was in hospice. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering how can we use cannabis to improve the quality of care for, for patients at the end of their lives? Great question. So at the end of your life, hospice, I consider that the, the doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals that work in hospice to be angels, because it is a very special position that you are helping someone to cross over. And it can be anxiety inducing for the family. You're not only dealing with what the patient is going through, you're often dealing with what the family is going through. So, um, and when you are in hospice, they give you the same drugs all the time. So a pharmacist will know they, if somebody gets a morphine concentrated liquid along with some concentrated Ativan, which is a benzodiazepine to help them relax, along with some Haldol, along with some atropine drops, we know the person's in hospice. I mean, even we didn't even have to see who prescribed it. We know the person's in hospice. So it's given the same meds every time. Now, unfortunately, these meds tend to put them into a really out of it state. So they can't talk as much and they tend to be um, just more out of it and as they pass. But with the cannabis, they can keep their... Um, their senses, they can keep their ability to have conversations for a longer period of time while having the pain controlled and while being relaxed. So it's, is it going to be for everyone? Absolutely not, but nothing is. This patient, she was uh, in her early 90s. She was a super, super skinny lady. So she had a lot of pain just laying in the bed. And she wanted a sativa brownie every four hours. And it was 20 milligrams. She got up to 20 milligrams. But once she found her spot, it wasn't too much. It wasn't too little. Her family was happy because she was able to converse. And her pain was under control. And her mood was up. And that continued until the very end, which at that point they they did for a sh much shorter amount of time, switched over to the pharma drugs for the final transition. But um, 
you know, it's, it's another option. Like we always want another option. Those drugs, they do help and they're classic and they, they are used for hospice care, but they are very heavy and they're very sedating. So if we can avoid that for us for a little bit, I think families would really appreciate that. Emily. Oh, did I lose you? Hello. Hello. Oh, we lost. No, I'm still here. Can you hear me? We're still recording, but I don't hear you, Emily. Can you hear me now? Oh, I can hear you now. Huh? Are you still there? I'm here. Yes. Sorry. 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 Okay. Huh? Yeah. I guess I must have just cut out. Um, but can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. We will, we'll edit that part out. Um, but that's editing is the best thing. I know. Right. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I I wanted to say I, but that was, I hear there's something in my background here. Can you, can we hold just one second? I I think my daughter has something playing and of course I want it to go away because I hear it's very loud. Hold on one second. Where is it? No, it's this. It's this. The TV started. That's what. Okay. That's what it is. The TV started. Okay. Can you hear me, Emily? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you give me? Okay. Yeah. My TV, my PV restarted and it was really loud. So there we go. Okay. I'm going to just replug in my microphone and see if it, um, see if it works. So give me just a sec. Okay. Hello? Yep. Okay, great. Um, all right. Yes, I thought that was just a peripheral. Oh, you faded out again. I can't hear you. Oh, there you are. Okay, better? Better. There we go. All right. Um, yeah, I thought that was such a beautiful and important story because I, I think a big demand and need in the American medical system, especially, is um, not necessarily always extending the life of patients, but just improving, just improving those last few months or days of their, you know, their time on Earth and making absolutely, it, making absolutely, it yeah, making them more peaceful, a peaceful passing where they're not knocked out so much. Because yes. unfortunately, the meds now just just knock them out. And if you if we can keep them um, conversing with family as long as possible, I think that's what people want. Mm-hmm. And it's just a smoother, smoother mm-hmm. transition. So happy to hear that. So as I mentioned um, before we started recording uh, this podcast, the season of the podcast, we're really expanding to to talk about kind of this renaissance in psychedelic research. Mm. And I'm wondering, because now you have so many years of experience working with cannabis and you have this perspective of a pharmacist, what do you think, how can we proactively, um, you know, set ourselves up for success in the distribution of psychedelic medicine? Um, but based on kind of your experience, like what, what lessons do we learn from the liberalization of cannabis that we can mm-hmm. apply to kind of this global movement and potential like legalization of psychedelics? Yeah. So I would say um, if you come at it from a healthcare perspective, our number one concern, no matter who you're talking to, is keeping people safe. 
So if something comes in or, or let's say, for instance, you know, there's a pharmacy and, and, and a psychedelic product, a mushroom product comes in, we want to make sure that the dose is going to pe- keep people safe. So how much, even when I'm thinking about it, how much of a mushroom and which are, are which are the different kinds that would cause more different effects? So for me, it's always all about dose. What we want to start people on a low enough dose where we're going to have a little bit of effect, but we have some wiggle room to really get maybe some better effects over time. We want to make sure that we don't introduce something that's going to, as we know, do more harm. We want to keep the dose right. We want to keep something that the people are going to feel safe with. You know, psychedelics can be extremely uncomfortable when get, when too much is taken. So I think for, for these type of products, if we can keep people safe and out of that uncomfortable zone, avoiding any type of serious mental issues, then that would be where I would come from. I always want the dose to be nice and safe when people are starting out on new products. Mm-hmm. Yes, great point. Okay, so to wrap up our conversation here, first of all, um, we'll link your book in the show notes. So our listeners will have access to that. But um, where where can people find you and, and learn more about your work? Sure. So the uh, website is elevatethecannabisexperience.com. You can also go to dispensary teams. You can reach out to me. You can set up a meeting. We can chat. Um, You can also access the courses there. Right now we have a bud tender course and we have our medical training course. I initially started out with the medical training course because all of the pharmacists I work with at the dispensaries had zero training and we would see this massive turnover rate. So my first thought was to go right for the medical people so they would be prepared to sit down and talk with their patients. But then when I was up in Maine and saw the need for the bud tender course as well and the the massive turnover for bud tender as well, I designed a course for bud tenders so they would be confident. And my goal is to get them into dispensaries so every single person that comes in through a dispensary is trained to elevate that patient experience, keep them safe, keep it effective, and really bring the integrity of this entire industry up to where it should be because cannabis is fantastic. It's here to stay and we want to keep our people safe and happy. So dispensaryteams.com, feel free to reach out to me, uh, either email, you can set up a meeting, uh, happy to talk to. And I always have people reaching out and just emailing me about questions, even non-cannabis questions or maybe pharma with cannabis. And I'm happy to answer all questions for everybody. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and sharing all of this valuable wisdom and information with us. Thank you, Emily. This was fun. Appreciate it. Great information for people. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Psychedelic Science for the People. If you're wondering why we have taken a rather long hiatus in between the past few episodes, the reason is money. We are actively seeking financial supporters to help us continue to produce this podcast and make psychedelic and cannabis science education available to the people. If you are passionate about this cause and would like to support us financially, please become a Patreon at patreon.com backslash psychedelic science for the people. If you're not able to do that right now, we still love you and appreciate your support. Please consider sharing this episode or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.